It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining us and welcome to our new format where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests to ask for their favorite tip. My guests today are Eric Knudsen and Kelly Coyne of Root Simple. They're the authors of two books, The Urban Homestead, Your Guide to Self-Sufficient Living in the Heart of the City, and Making It, Radical Home Ec for a Post-Consumer World. They also host the Root Simple podcast and have a witty, information-filled blog at rootsimple.com. Thanks for joining me today, Eric and Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited because I get to be at your house today. For a change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've, we've, we're exchanging podcasts, so I'm going to be on yours and you're right. on mine. Perfect. Very cool. So this is going to be hard because when I, uh, when I added you two to my, in my podcast interview wish list, I put in the column where, you know, of what topics to discuss, I wrote anything. Uh, because we have a lot in common. You're gardeners, you're beekeepers, you're bread makers, you're chicken keepers. So there's a lot we could talk about. Um, our umbrella topic for today is homesteading, but I wanted to start with Making It, which is your most recent book, um, which I finally got a copy of in my effort to go zero waste. And I'm diving in and and I I wanted to just have you tell us a little bit about the book and how it came about. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, we haven't read it, so I you know, don't, <laughs> don't really know. Kelly? Uh, what was it? It's, it seems it seems so long ago. <laughs> we, we were kind of behind on the publishing schedule. I think, you know, when you're doing this sort of thing, you're expected to come out with a new book every couple of years right. or so, and, and we haven't. So now, and then between, like, our, our decrepit old age, <laughs> I've sort of forgotten what we were thinking when we well, had that brilliant I, idea. I remember. We, were, we wanted a book that was more step-by-step directions. The first book had a little bit of that, but it also had a little bit of a more bloviating, I might Bloviating. Put it, right? Is such that a the word? word. That's a special word for Eric. Yeah, I bloviate a lot. <laughs> I never bloviate. There wasn't that much bloviating, actually. But we wanted a book that was a little more, that had some step-by-step directions in it, and it was, um, the, <laughs> I can't remember how it was organized. It was organized by... Uh, Maybe you know, Christy, well, better than I do. Yeah, because you have, you have sections on uh, daily, weekly, monthly, right. mm-hmm. and then kind of some bigger term projects. And, and f- for example, you know, for my zero waste en- endeavors, I'm trying to make some of my own household care mm-hmm. products. And your lotion... The, oh, yeah. the face cream or oh, whatever like the it whip. is. Yeah. It's so magical. And I haven't, honestly, the reason why I hadn't gotten the book until recently is because I had someone renting a room in my house for a year and she had the book. And so I was borrowing, I was looking at it and she would make the face cream or the whip or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, the lotion um, for Christmas presents. And I love it. It's mm-hmm. so simple and it's straightforward and it just feels so good. Mm-hmm. And... Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, the whip is, um, yeah, that was part of my, uh, you know, I, I think I had the same sort of zero waste tendencies mm-hmm. as you, I wanted to stop buying so many things and bottles and packages. And, but I also, you know, didn't want, um, the chemicals and right. the whatnots that are in those things. And I had found like, this was many years ago, um, when I started making the whip, maybe 10 years ago or something. And there weren't, weren't a lot of alternatives on the market and the things I could find were extraordinarily expensive, like $30 for a one to two ounce jar, you know? And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so I, I, I dived deep into the internet hole, uh, trying to find out how to make beauty products. And as you know, it's 
if you've tried to do it, it, it's, it is difficult. I mean, chemistry is a wonder and chemistry makes things stable and makes things consistent. It makes things, um, especially, uh, it makes them safe. I mean, right. on one level, they're safe in that they won't, um, harbor dangerous bacteria and whatnot. They may have other things in them that will give you cancer down the road, but <laughs> at the, for the right, but meantime, shelf stability. they're shelf stable. Yeah. Now lotion is a problem. Uh, there's like this, there's, there's the world of salves and butters and then there's lotions and lotions are more, are so much, I like them a lot because, you know, they have that water in them and that makes them go into your skin, uh, faster mm -hmm. and it just feels better. You don't feel greasy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but they're very hard to make because they need, um, emulsification. <laughs> I, know, I know we, I've got we're, a dog. We're I'm, laughing because there's a dog <laughs> chewing on a, on a rawhide chew toy or something he, right at her, at her elbow. Yeah, and he, it's so if, loud. <laughs> yeah. If you guys, if you guys hear like a, nyah, 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 that's the dog. He, he has this habit of making me hold his toy for him while he, while he eats, while he chews. I love it. I have to help. It's a, it's a group effort. He can't do it by himself. No, no, it's not good if he does it by himself. It's great. It's, it's a yeah. joint effort. Yeah. Okay, so back so, to the lotion. <laughs> anyway, right. but the emulsification, I mean, you can buy chemical emulsifiers, but who wants to do that? I wanted to do, I wanted a recipe that would, that could be made out of things like fairly straightforward household ingredients or things that could conceivably be locally sourced like beeswax. And olive oil. And olive oil, mm -hmm. as opposed to having to write off to the chemical supply company. And so I worked up this this basically olive oil, water, wax sort of situation that works. It's a funny recipe. I've felt. I mean, if you look at it, it's on our blog, um, and it's a it's it's a perennially popular post. But it's also been not notated so many times by me that it's ridiculous. I should just rewrite it. Um, but it's been a learning process, um, trying to explain to people how to make it because it is fussy because it's not, doesn't have a proper emulsifier mm -hmm. in it. Um, and so you're sort of forcing the emulsification through, um, strong wishes and good luck. Oh, okay. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't work and people try to make it and it fails. Yeah. I've gotten a jar that has the water sort of beads up on the yes. surface and, yeah. you, pour and you pour that off, but it, yeah. I don't care. It's still <laughs> wonderful it and emollient good. And it yeah. feels really good and it's cool and you can fresh put any essential of the oil in it if yeah. you want and uh i've gotten some with citrus oils in it or lavender and mm -hmm. it just makes me happy yeah it's it is nice that way but then i had a so first i was worried about people being unable to make it work i hate recipes that don't work and then my second level of frustration with it was that i realized that it was inherently an unsafe recipe oh. because anytime you're mixing water uh with you know into your products you're creating something that is not shelf stable and um you could end up like if someone had say an open wound or low it's like a suppressed immune, immune system, system something yeah. bad could actually happen probably not never happened to me or my friend you know i know so many people who use that stuff yeah. nobody's had any trouble but i had to sl slather warnings all over everything about that too because i was really worried that people that somebody might come to harm from it it's a little bit like eating oysters yeah probably safer than at eating oysters it's a little at your own risk but it's i don't know i like it so um the alternative to making the lotion with the water in it is to make um a, like a butter um and those actually work pretty well and i've been working on a butter lately trying to find a a, a butter that works almost as well as a lotion mm -hmm. you know that's as easy to use and not so greasy okay 
Um, and are you going to be sharing that on the blog or is it already up there? Or? It's not up there. Okay. I'm still confused by it because I'm lazy. Ah. <laughs> and um, I keep one of the, have you ever played with the butters in the world of homemade stuff? I have not yet. If I you go really on the internet, the internet is so, you know, so full of eager people making homemade products now, which mm-hmm. there didn't used to be like, again, like, cause we're old and it, you know, there wasn't so much when we started, You've but now if you, if you look up, you know, body butter homemade or whatever, there's many blogs, beautiful beautiful photography, beautiful design. Of, um, and the one thing that they have in common is that everybody whips their butter. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they melt the stuff together. They let it cool partially. Then they whip it. They have to whip it at exactly the right time or it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then, but then it makes a very beautiful, loose, um, cream, like, um, like whipped cream kind of texture mm-hmm. and that you can scoop into bottles and it looks beautiful and it feels great. And that's, that's all good, but it's too much trouble. Mm-hmm. It's just way too much trouble. I right. will not do that. I will not clean off beaters, oh, get oil off of beaters. I will not, you know, monitor the fridge and the texture of this thing for the critical time frame. To me. I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to make a uh, butter that you can get your finger into. It's not like a hard rock, you know, <laughs> and uh, that that um, works nicely on the skin and that's easy to make, but that just requires stirring on the stove. Yeah. Done is done. Good. So. All right. Keep That's us a posted. very long answer. I'm sorry about that. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I am um, passionate about the uh, the personal care products. And, <laughs> and, and that's all to the point of reducing waste and not using plastic and all of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which I think people are interested in more and more, especially now since people are becoming aware of how much plastic pollution is in our oceans and the fact that China is no longer accepting our, mm-hmm. our, our recycling, right. Or our plastic yeah, waste too much. Right. Yeah. And so we have to stop creating it. We have to stop using it. And, you know, we have to hold manufacturers accountable for repurposing or recycling their own packaging. So I think this is really relevant now, even though, when did making it come out? I think it was 2012. Okay. And I'm way behind the curve. That's me. Late to the party. <laughs> uh, but the the I think the relevance maintains. And you have other stuff in the books about, like, making kimchi and brewing your own mead and... Is there beer in there? I don't yeah, remember. I'm not a beer fan, but but the idea of honeymead excites me. Um, and and so there's there's a lot of helpful stuff in there. I've been focusing on the chapter about homemade cleaning products. You know, like vinegar and baking soda as primary ingredients for a lot of things. Do you have a favorite that you like to use for keeping things clean around here? You know. The more I do this, the less I'm interested in any kind of complexity, mm-hmm. you know, cause some people can get really into the lotions. I call it lotions and potions, uh-huh. like, you know, get really into the mixology of the whole thing. And, um, and I, and I actually see a lot of mixology, which is wrong from a chemical standpoint. Like you do not pre-mix baking soda and vinegar together because that makes a neutral product. Right. It's not going to do anything and you see it everywhere. Um, but so I like keeping things like, uh, one ingredient as much as possible. I really it comes down to just doing most of our cleaning with vinegar. It's most of our scrubbing with baking soda. And I do yeah. use, even though they're not, um, uh, very, um, they're not so, um, they're not going to be recyclable, but the microfiber cloths are actually really, really useful. I have, they're like 10 years old and they're still scrubbing, you know? And so that texture picks up grime really well with just water. So like I'll clean our bathroom sink, again, the sort of in between quick cleans with like the, the microfiber cloth and water. 
fantastic. And it's fine. So. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to hear that you don't have to buy a window cleaner and a floor cleaner and a surface clean, like an all purpose cleaner and all of that. It's vinegar. Yeah. The specialization much. is, is all marketing. And right. and then there, then there's that whole new level of marketing, which is like the green, uh, like the, the higher end green, classy, mm-hmm. you know, Myers, whatever, uh, stuff, which is all just really expensive soap, water and vinegar. Right. <laughs> and, know? and the fragrance is so unpleasant to me. Yeah. I really don't like any of the Myers fragrances. Yeah. They make me unhappy. And they can't get it off. (laughs) (laughs) I am a single note fragrance type of person. And I, I appreciate, you know, the homemade application of just a single essential oil to something if you want something that smells good. Or you don't even need to do that. Or at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like I do less and less all the time. I used to be all big into scenting everything and I'm like, eh. Yeah. Well, that's so, (laughs) you're really leading me to my next question, which is the the overwhelm that comes with homesteading. Because I know the fatigue that comes with it sometimes. And so you, you know, we, we took a tour of this fantastic house we're out in the silver lake adjacent area we're between echo park and silver lake right and and these are these old houses that often need a lot of repair we've got construction going on here and there's you know fruit trees in the front yard and native plants and chickens in the backyard and two beehives and some really great things going on but it's a lot to maintain isn't it Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we had a, yeah, it's, it's a lot to maintain. And, and I think this kind of lifestyle is hard to maintain in, in the light of any kind of personal challenge that comes into your life. So we had a lot of, like a lot of personal challenges in the last couple of years, which might be why our brains are so frazzled. We can't remember our own book. It was not ghostwritten. No, you wrote it. It's we very wrote clear it. that you wrote we it. We wrote it, but we can't remember how it's organized. It's got your, your snarky humor all there's over. A, there's like um, a fear. This is an aside, but there's one, uh, there's, I don't know if you have this as an authorial fear, but once it's written and published, have you reread any of your books or looked I, at them? I reread, occasionally I reread my own uh, Gardening for Geeks because... I'm actually trying to get it republished as a 2.0 with a new publisher because my publishing company got sold to Simon & Schuster and they decided not to print up any more copies. So Mm -hmm. in order for me to have that book available to every class I teach, I need to get it republished. So I've been reworking it. it, And, you know, every once in a while I run across a paragraph where I'm like, Oh God, I need to fix. Oh God. You know? Uh, yeah. That's the, that's that horrible feeling. The, right. Oh God. Oh feeling. God. I've changed my mind on that. Oh right. God, that's a typo. Oh yeah. God. You know, I don't, it's, it's horrifying to look through them. Mm-hmm. So we just, they are entombed on our bookshelf. They've <laughs> never been cracked. I was like, yep. Looks like all the pages are there. We said Still when we unpacked good. them, like, yeah. yeah, I just gave them to our friends and that was that. And right. I have no idea what we wrote, <laughs> but yeah, but then, yeah, we had real health challenges, um, yeah, so I had a, um, what's called an aortic dissection. Oh my gosh. Which, when, when did this happen? This happened Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Um, so like, was that November 25th, 2016? Okay. And, um, an aortic dissection is, it's just your aorta decides to part ways with itself spontaneously. Uh, it's, oh my God. Yeah. It's an odd thing. It usually happens to older, sicker people hmm. and they don't know why it happened to me exactly, but it just, 
Uh, there's their genetic causes too, but I was tested clear of those, so they don't know why. But your aorta, which is your main big fat blood vessel that goes down, um, it goes down to you know past your heart down into your belly, the main one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just sort of peeled apart. Wow! And so the blood was not going the right way at all. And it's the kind of thing you die of within a couple hours if it's untreated. Wow. And John Ritter died of that. Okay. And um, Alan Thicke died uh-huh. of it right after I had mine. Um, there's actually a Ritter protocol now because they didn't identify his in time. Uh, now they have protocols to try to identify them more effectively. Well, the, that's good. Because it's a very vague, you don't... I, I felt the pain, a really sharp stabbing pain in my chest and my back at the same time. It was like being shot with an arrow. It was very odd, and, but then it went away. And I was like, well, that was very Interesting. strange. And I didn't, I was like, but that seemed, that felt serious. That just felt serious. And so, um, although I generally avoid doctors uh, at every turn, I was like, I think maybe I should go, maybe just to ur- not to the emergency room, but to urgent care and just say, I felt this bad, you know, chest pain. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, Eric had the car, we share a car and he was out. Um, and so I called a girlfriend said, could you take me to Kaiser? And, um, I think I need to get checked out. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll get my shoes. I'll come over. But there was no sense of urgency. But while I was waiting for her and I, and I got more, I had like this intuitive sense of urgency, but not a, it wasn't even articulated to myself, but I was nervous. And I went and I sat on our front steps waiting for her to come. And it seemed like she just took forever. It was rush hour. It was oh, the evening yeah. during the week. Mm-hmm. And so it took her a while to get here. And while I was waiting on the steps for her, my Left leg went completely numb. I oh, couldn't feel it or move it. And I was like, oh, now that's serious. That is serious. <laughs> so, but still, we, we, but we stuck with the plan. And she, she helped me into her car. And we, we drove to uh, Kaiser um, and then Follies ensued. Oh, man. <laughs> and it took and- a while for them to figure out what was going on. And once they did, then things got real serious real fast. And, and then I had open heart surgery. And um, yeah. So that makes you take a new look at your life, doesn't it? Yeah. It certainly teaches you a lot of things. Yeah. And, and Eric, you've had your share of, of, uh, stresses this, this year, haven't (laughs) you? So poor Eric. Yeah. My mom got, my dear mom got sick and, and passed on last year and I took care of her and, and organize her care. And yeah, well it was, she was already in decline when my thing happened. And, um, but thankfully she had very good home health care and, um, we were able to trust them with her during my crisis. And, um, but soon as I was like, so Eric was really out of the picture for her for a couple months while he just tended to me night and day. And mm-hmm. then, but soon as I was sort of okay to be left alone, <laughs> then he had to go back to taking care of his mom. And that sort of started her last, her final year and her last decline, which you know, took a lot of, it became like a, as anybody who's done intensive elder care knows, it's like a part-time job. Yeah. He was probably spending at least 20 hours a week. You know, so, and, and so, and, and then I, meanwhile, couldn't even lift a grocery sack. Right. So, you know, we just had a complete breakdown of systems here. Right. And so when, when that happens, because my, one of my questions was, you know, what's the division of labor around here to get this stuff done that you do? And what's it look like now by comparison? 
Yeah. Well, now there's nothing going on. So it looks like a mat. It looks like gray gardens right now. <laughs> I know. Eric said the same thing when he was showing me around. I think it's much more beautiful than that. The front yard's but... okay. I, we've been working on that. Um, the backyard is insane. Uh, you know, we, it's, everything's just grown, um, at, you know, unchecked. Uh, we are not growing any food um, other than like a, a tomato. Well, there's the tomato. And there, so there's, I see, there's, a, there's an avocado tree and a persimmon tree and there's some grapevines and yeah. a, a pomegranate and a fig in the front. Yeah, the fruit trees. That's one thing they're doing. to consider is that fruit trees will be with you even if you can't take care of them. Right. You the, know. And the perennial plants will come live. Back. They'll come back. Yeah, like our arugula came back on its own. So I'm, yeah, I'm interested in things that are completely independent. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and surprisingly, for, some, for, for the situation that you've been in for a while, your garden looks pretty vibrant. It looks like it's pretty happy. I think that's uh, one of those things that happens when you have good systems in place. And if you try to build your soil and you have a lot of mulch, all those things that they tell you to do, there's a good reason for it. It's not just, you know, puritanical. And, and, you and know, lower lecturing. labor. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, you know, you have, you know, the avocado is very happy because it is it, it has like probably two feet of mulch around it. So whether yeah. or not it's getting water or not, it really doesn't matter. It's happy. Yeah. And I noticed that it doesn't have any tip burn, which is a common problem here in L. LA because mm-hmm. we have high salts in the soil and and yeah. most of the trees that I'm seeing now have it to some degree. The new They're growth doesn't, but, but yeah. yours doesn't have hardly any at all. It's the best avocado tree in the world. It really is. And we and really so love it. How often are you watering that avocado tree, if it, at all? It used <laughs> to be pegged to our gray water system, mm-hmm. and and it got a lot of water that way. Um, because we had an old-fashioned washer-dryer stack that was probably probably dumping 50 gallons each load of wash wow. on it. Um, but we had just, you know, during... When did we get the new washer? Was it after or before my dissection? Yeah, it... I can't remember exactly, yeah, but... Within the last couple of years, uh-huh. we've gotten this new low-water washer, which is great, but it doesn't. it's not hooked to gray water. It would, it would give an ounce of water at a time to the thing anyway, so it doesn't matter. So we need to set up a... We find ourselves confused um, as to how much water to give the avocado, and... Um, and then time, we'd been time crunched on just dealing with it. Like we need to lay down an irrigation system for it and create a program for how much it gets watered. And as of now, it's more like uh, when we remember to throw a hose on it, which and, is not good. But you're, you're watering infrequently but deeply? Is yes. That, and that's the way it should be yeah. for fruit trees. So yeah. how often would you say you leave, or, you know, how often are you watering and for how long? I think it's about once a month, but I, I oh. right? Yeah. yeah. So and I, I'll leave it overnight. I'll leave the hose running over, or, or on a, uh, a not on a low drip, soak, a low soak, or yeah. um, a sprinkler mm-hmm. that has like a, a wide area. Okay. I just want to say something about that for the LA people listening to this, which I imagine is a lot. Is people underwater their avocado trees Most a lot here? I've noticed that a yeah. lot of sickly avocado trees, and please, people, don't do that. And then keep the can. That's the other thing we do is we keep the canopy dense so that the bark isn't um, hit Sun's with the gold. sun. So that that's real super important. That tree. The avocados are so good 
that it's if every I, I would get rid of I would trade everything else for just to have that, mm-hmm. and we treat it like it's the queen of the yard because yeah. it's the most important thing here. Uh, but uh, we have decided to focus, and we should say we hired a professional landscape person as well, okay, too, because we realized that. that yeah to help with the back because we realize we're not designers. Mm-hmm. Well, you're a professional, right? People should hire you. Well, uh, they but can- if they, yeah. Anyway, right. go ahead. Yeah, exactly. No, but but people should hire a professional um, if they can. And actually, I learned you could even just hire someone to come over and give you some opinions, and it doesn't cost that much. Actually, I yeah. think he charged like seventy five dollars or something for, and he's a talk chatty guy, so he stayed way past the hour yeah, or, he said yeah. he was going to. Yeah, and you'd get the seventy five back if you contract with right. Him, and most, I do yeah. that as well. Yeah. So I have a consultation fee, and then yeah. it applies to the design costs if people yeah. do go with that. So. Yeah, because so, we realized we need hardscaping. Like hardscaping is an important part of a garden, and yeah. we've never really had it. We just had a kind of a, a lousy patio and then a lot of mulch paths, you know. Right. And we're thinking, you know, we want something that's a little more self-maintaining. Um, our designer's good at. Um, He's a bit of a, it's funny, he's a bit of a grim reaper because he's like, well, you know, we're all getting older. And I'm right? like, well, don't remind us of that right <laughs> now. We've been through this. But it, it's true. You know, as you get older, you need to have a garden that will um, not be a burden to you, but that will serve you and be a place of pleasure for you. Right. And not like you're looking around at everything that needs to be done. Yeah. All always the time. stressed, always going, Oh, what am I going to do? You know, my, you know, maybe your, your back hurts or you have arthritis or mobility issues mm-hmm. and you're waiting for your, you know, uh, maybe your kid to come and help you, but they're busy and you're frustrated or you don't want, you don't feel comfortable having strangers over to prune and all that stuff that can cause an older person so much anxiety. Instead, I, I, I want, I want the yard to to be simpler and self-maintaining like i've seen in the last couple of years while we've been busy that it it can live on its own um, i think we just need some rather less plants out there so everybody yes. has room right fewer plants more <laughs> yeah. space in between exactly yeah. everything grew like, like all these things i was like oh well i'm i was planning on removing some and others i was going to keep tightly pruned but when disaster strikes this does not happen and now there's like the wall of green right <laughs> and i can't find the dog when he goes out there <laughs> and so I, you know i wanted so there's a few showy native plants that can reach their full size and and not require pruning off the paths or from each other, a uh, few good, like the very best of the food producing trees and the ones that are sickly and unattractive, they're going to go. Uh, and then like a nice level path that I can walk on without tripping and breaking my leg um, yeah. and a nice place to sit, you know, just like simple, uh, my herb beds. I like, um, I always have cooking herbs right now. Our patio is, is a dirt pit because they're, they're digging it <laughs> up right now. It's like, it looks like a war zone, but before they came, I dug up all my herbs and they're in pots waiting to go back in. So I have like a kitchen garden. So even if I'm not uh, able to maintain food crops, I'll always at least have kitchen herbs, which I think make a huge difference in the quality of your cooking and, you know, just yeah. your home life. Yeah. Fresh chives in anything. It really yeah. makes a difference. Yeah. So usually at this point in the, uh, in the interview, in the podcast, I ask for your, you know, what's the one tip you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience? Well, actually, yeah, I was thinking about it in the theme there's many tips, right? Uh-huh. But I, I'm, I always just say mulch is the first one, but uh, someone else <laughs> has probably already said that. I think keeping with the theme, what we've just been talking about is focus, 
So in the case of the edibles, edibles are a lot of work. So I just decided that one 4 by 8 bed was actually enough for... And it was certainly not, we're not going to live off of it, but I can grow in there the things that taste good from the garden. So like tomatoes and basil this time of year, salad greens in the wintertime, and then just, you know, go to the the Vons and get the other stuff that's a pain in the ass to grow, like broccoli. Oh, my God. It's a right. pain. Broccoli's just a pain to over grow. Winter. So. That's the only time I grow broccoli is over winter because if you try and grow it in the spring, it just gets full of aphids. It's a, yeah, well, I, we grow it in the winter here. and it gets full of aphids, aphids no, here. Maybe You're in a cooler, slightly a cooler, cooler place. That's probably what it is. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that, that would be my tip is like focus, keep on, only, especially with the edibles, only 10 what you can maintain responsible well, yeah. right? Oh. I think that's a great tip. Oh, I would add, um, my tip would be just to be able to let it go. You know, if, and not, don't feel bad if you have to let it go. That is a fantastic tip. Yeah, you know, because I think there's yeah. a lot of, um, there can be, I don't know, it's sad to say in, in a community as geeky as gardening, <laughs> but that there's, you know, that there can actually be peer pressure, yeah. you know, or, ex, or you self-imposed expectations of, you know, um, you're not a real homesteader if you don't do this or that, you know, yeah. but I think we all have challenges um, that come and go in our lives. And there's going to be seasons or years for whatever reason, you are not going to be able to do this stuff. Let it go. Yeah. There are more important things. Thank you so much for saying that. It really is, this is the reality check, you know, that I think people need every once in a while, that we're human, we can only handle so much, and that's okay. So thank you so much for sharing your expert tips, Eric and Kelly, and thanks for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Christy. Awesome. All right, Garden Nerds, you'll find more information about Root Simple on GardenNerd.com this week. We'll share links to their website as well as their books, and I'm also going to put a link to Eric's famous article on why the flow hive is a bad idea. Oh. <laughs> it's from a while ago, but I think it's really worth reading. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of gardening information at GardenNerd.com. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our GardenNerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!